0: Well, as hard as it may be to believe, we are now well into the month of November, and that means that Thanksgiving is just a few days away. So over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear a whole lot of talk about being thankful. At some point over the next couple of weeks, you're probably going to hear somebody recount the story of the first Thanksgiving, and you're going to be reminded that if if the pilgrims could be thankful after everything that they had to face and endure during their first year in the New World, that they could be thankful, then surely we can be thankful as well. Or when you turn on TV, you're going to see some news stories that offer you five five ways or eight tips or ten secrets on how you can be more grateful in your life. Or when you're scrolling through social media on your Facebook page, you're probably going to see at least a few of your Facebook friends who are trying to write down one thing they're thankful for every day between now and November the 23rd. But here's the thing, even though we are going to hear a whole lot of talk over the next 10 days or so about being thankful, the simple truth is that we aren't great at being grateful. It's true. We aren't great at being grateful. As a matter of fact, when it comes to being grateful, a lot of us have at least a little bit in common with a character by the name of Dudley Dursley. Now, in case you're not familiar with that name, Dudley Dursley is Harry Potter's cousin. And in the very first book in the series, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, we find out the kind of person that Dudley Dursley is when his birthday rolls around. So this is what we're told. Harry was frying eggs by the time that Dudley arrived in his kitchen with his mother. Dudley looked a lot like his dad or Harry's uncle, Vernon. He had a large pink face, not much of a neck, small watery blue eyes, and thick blonde hair that lay smoothly on his thick head. Aunt Petunia often said that Dudley looked like a baby angel. But Harry often said that Dudley looked like a pig in a wig. Harry put the plate of bacon and eggs onto the table, which was difficult because there wasn't much room on the table. The table was almost completely hidden beneath Dudley's birthday presents. It looked as though Dudley had gotten the new computer that he wanted, not to mention the second television and a video camera, a remote-control plane, 16 new computer games, a gold wristwatch, a VCR. Remember, the Harry Potter books are actually set in the 1990s, so getting a VCR was still a big deal back then. And a racing bike. Exactly why Dudley wanted a racing bike was a mystery to Harry, as Dudley hated exercise, unless, of course, it involved punching somebody, and Dudley's favorite punching bag was Harry. Dudley, meanwhile, was counting his presents. His face fell. Thirty-six, he said, looking at his mother and his father. That's two less than last year. Darling, you haven't counted Aunt Marge's presents, see? It's here underneath the big one for Mummy and Daddy. All right, that's thirty-seven then, said Dudley, going red in his face. Now Harry he could see a huge Dudley tantrum was coming on, and he began wolfing down his bacon as fast as possible in case Dudley ended up turning over the table. And Aunt Petunia obviously scented danger too, because she said quickly, And we'll buy you another two presents while we're out today. How's that, Popkin? Two more presents. Is that all right? Dudley thought for a moment. It looked like very hard work. Finally, he said, so I'll have 30, 30, 39 sweetums, added Aunt Petunia. Oh, Dudley said heavily and grabbed the nearest parcel. All right, then. Now, most of us would never want to admit that we have anything in common with a character like Dudley. Dursley. Most of us could not imagine ourselves ever complaining that we did not receive enough presents for our birthday or for Christmas or for any other special occasion, especially if we had already received enough presents to fill a small appliance store. So in our minds, we think that if we found ourselves in a situation like Dudley's, that we would be grateful for everything that we had. But even though in our minds we think that we would be grateful for everything that we've received if we find ourselves in a situation like Dudley's, the truth is that the numbers tell us a different story. Let me walk you through some to show you what I mean. Back in 2019, the average American family spent $511 purchasing Christmas gifts. And $511 is a lot of money. $511 is going to fill a whole lot of stockings. But in 2020, the average American family went from spending $511 purchasing Christmas gifts to spending $648 to purchase Christmas gifts. That's an increase of almost 27%, and it only got crazier between 2020 and 2021 Like I said a second ago, in 2020, the average American family spent $648 buying Christmas gifts. But in 2021, that number skyrocketed to $886. That's an increase of almost 37%. That's insane. Now, to be fair, spending on Christmas did come back down just a hair last year in 2022. The average American family last year, instead of spending $886 on Christmas, only spent $826 purchasing Christmas gifts. But if you're quick with math in your head, you realize that's still more than $300 more than we were spending purchasing Christmas gifts just a couple of years ago. And those numbers, those numbers kind of show us what our attitude is when it actually comes to gratitude. And even though we know that we should be thankful for everything we have, we still want more. Even though we know that we should be thankful and grateful for everything that we have, we still want more. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we know that that's not the way that we're supposed to feel. And this is a message that we actually see time and time again as we're reading through the Bible. In places like Psalm 118, verse 1, we're told to give thanks to the Lord because he is good, because his faithful love lasts forever. Or in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, we're told, always give thanks to God the Father for everything. And in the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, we're told, always be joyful, pray continually, and give thanks whatever happens. So from these passages alone, becomes pretty clear that God wants us to be grateful for everything that we have, but that doesn't stop us from wanting more. So what are we supposed to do about that? What are we supposed to do when everything in our world around us, when our hearts and our souls sometimes want us to get more and more and more, but God tells us to be grateful for what we have. Well, that's what we're going to spend our time together throughout the Thanksgiving season here at Melbourne Heights talking about. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what each of us can do to be more grateful in a world that can often be so greedy. And we're going to do that through this series of sermons called Enough is Enough. And as we start into this today, as we start thinking about how we can combat our desire to always get more, even though it contradicts the way that God actually wants us to live our lives, I can't think of a better place for us to start than with the story that we're going to be taking a closer look at today. So if you've got a Bible close by or a Bible app on your phone, I'd encourage you to open it up to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And as you're finding it, let me just give you a little bit of background information on the book of Luke. Now, Luke is essentially a biography of Jesus. So in the book of Luke, you're going to be able to read about Jesus' birth, and you can read about his baptism. You can read about Jesus' ministry, and you can read about the miracles that Jesus performed. You can read about Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. But in Luke chapter 3, the story that we're going to be looking at takes place before Jesus' public ministry ever began. And in Luke chapter 3, we're going to meet a person that we call John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he spends his time preaching and teaching to help prepare the way for Jesus. And that's exactly what John is doing at the beginning of Luke chapter 3. He's preaching and he's teaching. He's trying to prepare the way for Jesus by telling the people in the crowds that have gathered to listen to him that they're not living their lives the way that God wants them to. But John's not being very tactful or polite in the way that he is preaching this message, all right? So at the beginning of Luke chapter 3, as John is telling these people they're not living their lives the way that God wants them to, he refers to them as a brood of vipers. It's probably worse than somebody saying that we have something in common with Dudley Dursley, right? And he also warns them that if they don't change their ways, that God's going to cut them off. Now, this isn't exactly the way that any of us would try to, thinking, to think about making friends or influencing people, but this is exactly what John does, and this is where I want us to pick up in the story today. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 3 together, and I want us to start reading in verse 9. And here's what John the Baptist says as we begin in this passage. John says, Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. The crowds asked him, "What then should we do?" Now, I want to pause right here for just a second because those two verses that we just read, they're basically talking about the same thing that we've been talking about throughout this message. And these two verses, John is telling the people that have gathered around to listen to him preach that they're not living their lives the way that God wants them to. They're not producing the fruit that God wants them to produce in their lives. That's true for us. We're not living our lives the way that God wants us to. We are often greedy instead of being grateful. So the people that are listening, they hear what John says. They hear that they're not living their lives the way that they're supposed to be living them. And Did you see what they said to John? They asked John what then should we do? If we're not living our lives the way that God wants us to, what should we do about it? And this is the exact same question that all of us need to be asking. Because we know that we don't live our lives the way that God wants us to live our lives. Specifically today, we're talking about the fact that we're greedy instead of being grateful. So we need to be asking, what do we do about that? If we're not living how God wants us to, what do we need to do to change and as we keep reading in luke chapter 3 john's going to tell us what we can do so let's skip down and let's pick back up in verse 11 and see what happens next luke chapter 3 verse 11 here's what it says he that's john the baptist answered whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none and whoever has food must do the same Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, Collect no more than you are authorized to collect. And soldiers came and asked, What about us? What should we do? He answered, Don't cheat or harass anyone, and be satisfied with your pay. All right, so in these verses that we just read, We find out that there are three different groups of people who are there listening in the crowds as John the Baptist is preaching. There are these three separate groups who hear John's message, who understand that they're not living their lives the way that God wants them to. So these three separate groups, they come and they ask John, what should we do? And the way that John answers their question is going to help all of us better understand what we can do when we're not living our lives the way that God wants us to. What we can do when we're being greedy instead of being grateful. So what is it that John tells these groups to do? Well, I want to start out by talking about what John tells the tax collectors and the soldiers to do. But before we can jump in and see what John says to the tax collectors and soldiers— We need to take a step back so that we have a better understanding of who these tax collectors and soldiers were. And the tax collectors and the soldiers in this story, they both essentially find themselves in a position in the ancient world where they can take whatever they want. If you were a tax collector working for the Roman Empire in the first century, the way that that worked is that you would have been responsible for collecting taxes in a given area. And that meant that the Roman Empire expected that you would pay the Roman government taxes of a certain amount. And it all depended on the area that you were in. But functionally, the way that this worked is that if you lived and worked in an area where the Roman government expected to receive a million dollars worth of taxes from your region, that's all you had to pay to the Roman government. But that did not mean that was all that you could collect. The Roman Empire could care less if you collected a million dollars or two million dollars or ten million dollars as long as they got the million dollars that they expected. And then you as a tax collector could pocket the rest. So this clearly sets up a situation where tax collectors in the ancient world were able to earn or more accurately steal a fortune. And we even see this play out a little bit later on in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 19 when we read the story of a man named Zacchaeus. And we all know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, but we also know that Zacchaeus was a tax collector and a chief tax collector at that. So Zacchaeus spent his entire working life as a tax collector, ripping off everybody in the area that he was collecting taxes for. So when Zacchaeus finally meets Jesus, and Jesus changes Zacchaeus' life forever, Zacchaeus offers, he says that he is willing to repay everyone that he stole anything from, four times as much as he took. So Zacchaeus had a whole lot of money. And the soldiers in the story are in a similar situation. Now, soldiers have, being a soldier has never exactly been a high-paying position at any point in the history of the world, and I can tell you that with confidence because I'm a military kid. But in the ancient world, in the Roman world, Roman soldiers often supplemented their income by extortion. So in the ancient world, the Roma, there were Roman soldiers, groups of soldiers, who kind of acted like the mafia did at more recent times, where they would charge protection money from fishermen or from bakers or even from tax collectors. And if these small businesses refused to pay up, those Roman soldiers would make them regret it. So these soldiers were in a position where they could take whatever they wanted from anyone. So you have these tax collectors and you have these soldiers who are there in the crowd as John the Baptist is preaching and they hear John's message. They realize that they're not living their lives the way that they're supposed to be living their lives. So they both go to John and they ask John the Baptist what should we do? And what does John the Baptist say to them? Stop ripping people off and be happy with what you have. And this is the first lesson that all of us need to learn if we want to be grateful instead of being greedy. If you want to be grateful instead of being greedy, you have to realize that enough is enough. If you want to be grateful, instead of being greedy, you have to realize that enough is enough. And this is what John the Baptist wanted those tax collectors and the soldiers to realize. He wanted them to be content with what they had, because John the Baptist knew that they already, that God had already given them everything that they needed. They had enough to put food on their table. They had enough to keep clothes on their backs. They had enough to put a roof over their heads. They had enough. God had given them enough. And enough is enough. So John wanted them to know that they didn't have to keep chasing after more. The same thing's true for us. God has given us everything that we need. God's given us enough that we can put food on our tables. God's given us enough that we can keep clothes on our back. God has given us enough that we can put a roof over our heads. God has given us enough, and enough is enough. So we don't need to keep chasing after more and more and more. So if you want to learn to be grateful, Instead of being greedy, the first thing you have to realize is that you have enough. But the tax collectors and the soldiers, they're not the only ones that come to John inside of the story. They're not the only ones that have been listening to John's message and understand that they haven't been living their lives the way that God wants them to. At the beginning of the passage, we're told the entire crowd hears this message. And the entire crowd asks John, what should we do? this is what John told them. John says, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none. Whoever has food must do the same. So John is speaking with this crowd. This crowd asks John, what do we have to do? What can we do since we're not living our lives the way that God wants us to? John doesn't just tell them, that God has given them enough. John takes it one step further, and he says that God has given many of you more than enough. You have more than enough to put food on your tables. You have more than enough to keep clothes on your back. You have more than enough to keep a roof over your head. And then John tells them what they need to do about that. John tells them if they want to be the people that God made them to be, if they want to live their lives the way that God wants them to, that they have to be willing to give and share from their abundance. And that brings us to the second thing that you and I need to do if we want to live our lives the way that God wants us to. If we want to be grateful instead of greedy, we have to share our abundance. If we want to be grateful instead of being greedy, we have to learn to share our abundance instead of trying to hoard and get more. Now, functionally, this is how this can look for us. When you go home today, if you look in your closet in your bedroom and you see a closet that is overflowing with clothes, you should donate some of your clothes to people who need them. If you open up your pantry door and it is jam-packed with non-perishable food items that you couldn't eat in a decade, you need to give some of your food to those that are in need. If you have enough money that you don't have to worry about paying your mortgage or your rent and keeping that roof over your head, if you don't have to stress about paying all of the rest of your bills, then you need to be giving some of your money to help those who don't have enough. This is the life that God wants us to live. God wants us to be people who are grateful, not people who are greedy. God wants us to share the abundance that we've received. This is the life that God wants us to live, but it starts with the realization that you have enough. You don't Always need more. And yeah, that is a contradictory message in the world that we live in, especially this time of year. Because in the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, we're not just thinking about the Thanksgiving meal we're going to share with our family and friends. A lot of us have also turned our attention to the next holiday on the calendar. Christmas is just around the corner. I know every year when we get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving with my family, my parents expect that we are going to show up with a Christmas list so they can start their Christmas shopping. That's the world that we live in. The world that we live in today says that we should always have a list of more that we want, whether it's more toys or more books, whether it's a fancier car or a bigger house or a nicer wardrobe. We live in a world that always tells us to want more. But John the Baptist, uh, God, realize we have enough. So if you want to live your life the way that God wants you to live your life, it starts with the realization that God has given you what you need, and enough is enough, and if you have enough to meet your needs, you need to share that wealth and help those who don't. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, all of us can sit convicted with the words that we've heard today. God, you know that we live in a world that is constantly seeking more. We want more money in our bank accounts. We want more clothes in our closets. We want fancier cars. We want bigger houses. We want more and more and more. God, remind us that you've already given us enough. The vast majority of people that can hear my voice right now never have to worry about where their next meal is coming from. We don't have to worry about the clothes that we wear or if they're going to wear out or fall apart. We don't have to worry about having a shelter that can keep us safe and warm at night. God, you've given us so much already. Help us to be grateful for what we have. Instead of constantly living in a world where we seek to get more for ourselves, God, open our eyes and show us where we can give more to help others who aren't as fortunate as we are. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.